This is Taekwon Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Gromolo, and we are officially less than four weeks away from the 2018 NFL Draft. And with our previews of every position group in this draft class almost in the books, we begin another segment in our Dash to the Draft series today. This is the first of an eight-part preview that will give you a division-by-division look at the major needs of every team and what an ideal yet realistic draft hall would look like for all 32 clubs. Tonight, we look at a division that was viewed as the worst in the NFL a few years back, but is now becoming one of the most competitive, and that is the AFC South. And to help us preview the potential draft plans of the Colts, Texans, Titans, and Jaguars, it is a pleasure to welcome back our good friend Jake Arthur, who covers the NFL and the Colts for StampedeBlue.com. Back to the program. How are you, Jake? Hey, I'm good, buddy. Thanks for having me back. You're very welcome. Thank you for donating your time and your talents to this uh, program. Again, we always appreciate having you on. And let's start out with the your favorite team, the team that you cover, the Indianapolis Colts. And just a couple weeks ago, the Colts... Uh, made waves by trading down with the New York Jets. The Jets trading up to three to select a quarterback, which I personally think is going to be Baker Mayfield. Uh, we'll, we'll find out for sure on the 26th. Uh, but in return, they gave the Colts both of their second rounders this year, as in the Jets' original second rounder, plus the second rounder they got from Seattle in the Sheldon Richardson trade, and their second round pick in 2019. And that haul currently gives the Colts five selections in the top 67 picks and it was reported by Peter King of Sports Illustrated that the Colts might not be done trading down and under what circumstances do you see the Colts trading down again to be honest with you I don't know how likely it is just because the top of the draft is likely to be shaped by quarterbacks and the more quarterbacks that are taken ahead of the Colts there at six the more likely one of their guys is going to be there and I think the only way the Colts trade back is either none of their three guys are there, which would be Saquon Barkley, Bradley Chubb, and Quentin Nelson. Either none of those three guys are there or somebody else in the top 10, you know, makes such a can't-miss offer that they feel like they can do it. But I really don't think they want to fall out of the top 10 because there's no point in acquiring a ton of picks if you're not getting big time premium players with those picks, you, you just don't pass up on blue chip guys just to acquire more selections. Yes, especially the draft like this, where many GMs see the talent drop off after the 10th overall slot. So it kind of seems more likely, at least from a tea leave perspective, that the Colts would stay at six, barring a an offer that blows them away, as you suggested. And the Colts, they are in the midst of a massive roster turnover under second-year general manager Chris Ballard. They obviously have a ton of needs as far as the eye could see, but not all of them can be addressed in this draft alone. Out of those many needs, what are the most urgent ones for the Colts to address and why? Uh, well, the most urgent ones you could say would be that of edge defender, which now in this new system will be defensive end. Uh, the Colts had been in a 3-4 from 2012 to 2017 under Chuck Pagano, uh, a hybrid 3-4. But now their base defense is going to be the 4-3, more of a Tampa 2 kind of defense. So uh, they really need to find guys who are just pure pass rushers from that 4-3 defensive end position. They drafted Terrell Basham last year, uh, I believe in the third round, who that's kind of his comfort position 
and it took him a little bit to get the hang of outside linebacker last year. So hopefully this year it's a little easier transition for him. And then you've got Jabal Sheard, uh, who will likely man the other defensive end position. Outside of that, the only, really only other pass rushers on the roster is John Simon, who is likely to play the Sam linebacker position in this new 4-3. So teams don't win without a pass rush, and defenses aren't even good without a pass rush, honestly. So they don't have any depth of pass rushers, and they don't have any big-time pass rushers that actually get sacks. Jabal Sheard was uh, very productive last year at pressures, but I think he only had about five sacks. So that's just not getting... It's not totally getting the job done, so that's definitely a need. And then they also kind of need to overhaul their entire linebacking core. There were some pretty good linebackers in this free agent class, uh, but I just think the price was a little too high. When I ran the numbers on it, there were about eight or nine guys who I thought could really fit the Colts' new scheme out in the free agent class, but uh, I think they all wound up signing for an average of three years and, and guaranteed $13 million, and I just don't think the Colts wanted to spend that on the free agent market because this is a pretty good linebacker class this year in the draft. So I think they're linebackers. They're really going to need those, the guys they have right now, at least the ones who got playing time last year, they're just not all that rangy. John Bostick's gone. He wouldn't have been a great fit. Anthony Walker was a rookie last year. He may actually be a good fit either as the will or the Mike in this new one. We just don't know yet. He only got, I think two or three starts last year. And then Antonio Morrison, I don't even know how he's going to make the roster because he wasn't even effective as a 3-4 inside linebacker last year. So we could see them, when you bring in undrafted free agents as well, we could see them with as many as four or so new off-ball linebackers. So those two positions definitely need to be addressed. Uh, many people will usually point to the offensive line, but the Colts did bring back Jack Muhort. And to me, that means that no team in the NFL knows him like the Colts do, obviously. It means he's healthy enough to bring back, number one. And when he is healthy, he's a, an average to above average guard. He's a deserved starter. So that's good. And then they brought in Matt Slauson from the Chargers, uh, who is expected to start at another guard spot. Uh, so long as they don't you know, draft anyone like Quentin Nelson or Will Hernandez, someone along those lines. Uh, so they did kind of retain two new starters at guard. You can consider Muhort new because he missed most of the season last year. And then Denzel Good isn't a terrible right tackle. Anthony Costanzo is an above-average left tackle. And then Ryan Kelly, you could consider him at worst an average center right now. Uh, and then f under new head coach Frank Reich, he said, you know, he's not really worried about the offensive line because the system he's going to develop is going to get the ball out of Andrew Luck's hands quickly. And it's just not going to be as dense and, you know, not well thought out like Rob Chudzinski's was. So even if the Colts aren't, aren't good at pass protection, they'll cater to that by getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. So I don't think offensive line is going to be as big of a need as a lot of people think it will be, but I do expect it to get addressed before uh, the offseason's over. Very, very interesting analysis there, Jake. And now let's move on to the most ideal draft scenario for the Colts with their first uh, six selections. They, As I said, they own five in the top 67, six in the top 104. And at six overall, you said that their three big guys are arguably Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, and Saquon Barkley. Bradley Chubb, from what I've heard from several reports, 
He is expected to go as early as number two to the Giants. And if he's there at four for the Browns, the Browns are actually expected to take him because they are infatuated with the idea of teaming him up with Miles Garrett to form a lethal one-two punch off the edge. And number five, uh, if the Broncos don't like uh, one of the quarterbacks that's left, uh, they might go elsewhere. And that might be Quentin Nelson or Saquon Barkley or maybe even Raquan Smith from what I've heard. And so let's say the Colts get to six and let's assume that only Quentin Nelson and Saquon Barkley are available. You mentioned that Frank Wright doesn't sound worried about the offensive line, but Matt Slauson is north of 30. And if you get Quentin Nelson, you have a guy for a decade plus that will keep Andrew Luck upright. As amazing as Saquon Barkley is, I would think that Quentin Nelson would make a little bit more sense than him in that situation. What do you think? I'd agree with that. It, it's funny you say that because uh, our editor today in our Slack channel, Brett Mock, he actually posed that exact same question to us in our group. And most of us said Quentin Nelson. Um, it's, you know, Saquon Barkley, He, I think he's the best player in the draft. I think he's the best running back since I have been actually studying the draft in depth that I have watched. Uh, he's not without his problems like anybody else, but he's an incredible player. And I think that will translate to the NFL. You really don't want to take a guard or running back this high. But if I had to take one of the two, I would take Nelson just because the Colts need that. And while I'm not I'm not big on drafting for need, he also would be within range of his value. So you could consider him arguably the best player in the draft. A lot of people do. And he fits a need. So when things are that close, you can you can lean towards the need on that. We've just seen you can you're not going to find Saquon Barkley or anyone like him in the third or fourth round, but you don't need a running back like that to be successful in this league. I mean, look what the Eagles just did with a handful of guys. You know, this is another deep running back class. I would just go with Nelson if it was me. And the confusing thing about the Colts right now, the whole fan base and all of us who write about them, we're we've just been really interested with Chris Ballard because he's such a change from what we've had with Ryan Grigson. And so we read into every single thing he says. And then of course, with a brand new head coach and Frank Reich, we, we don't know him at all because he hasn't even been a head coach before. And, you know, as a coordinator, don't talk to the media all that much. Uh, you don't hear from them nationally, at least. So we read into everything he says. And honestly, if you read between the lines, I would think that Reich probably prefers Barkley, which makes sense. He's, you know, he's an offensive-minded coach. He was a quarterback when he was a player. But uh, Chris Ballard has spoken very highly about Quentin Nelson. So it's a real toss-up between those two. But I would think if all three were available, throwing Chubb in there, he is the trump card and all of that. Yes, uh, so either Nelson or Barkley at number six. And what about with their first of three second-round picks, their own at 36 overall, uh, if like what edge players at that point in the draft are worth it for the Colts to take a gamble on at that point? Uh, edge really starts to fall off a bit after Chubb and Harold Landry. Uh, they're in the first round. I don't think Landry will be available. I think he could honestly, I think he's probably going to go in the top half of the first round. Uh, he's just that good. I, I know he doesn't do much against the run, but that really hasn't mattered in the NFL. As long as you can get to the quarterback, that is paramount. It's arguably the second most important trait to have or, you know, dominant skill to have in the NFL. After that, I'm big on Arden Key. I've seen his potential. 
Uh, you know, his 2016 tape was really good. And then if you looked at him again late in the season, 2017, or late in his season, I know he he uh, his season was ended prematurely, especially against Alabama. I think he flashed that again. I don't know how he would really fit into the Colts scheme because we've seen that when he puts weight on, he's much less effective. And I don't think he'd be able to play that 4-3 defensive end at an NFL level at his current weight. So I don't know how well he would fit with the Colts. But if you're if you think maybe Marcus Davenport slides a little bit, he may not be instant impact, but he could be developed into a really effective pass rusher. Josh Sweat, you know, if his medicals check out fine, he looks like he could be he could be a good find. His stock was, you know, if you look two months ago, really or just before the combine, it's nowhere near what it is now. He's an early second round pick, it's looking like. Sam Hubbard, you know, not really a pass rush specialist, but a really solid edge defender to have. I'm also really high on Obanya Okoronkwo. Not really someone you're probably going to have as a designated pass rusher all the time, but he can do so many things. He can cover, he can play the run. Yeah, I've seen him in the slot. He's just someone I would want to stick at the will position, just let him fly around and do his thing. But they're at the top of the second. You're... you're your value picks are kind of slim pickings until you get into the middle of the second to more of the late second into the third. Yes, and the Colts have two picks in a row in the second round with the 37th overall pick, one of the three picks they got from the Jets. And if I have the Colts in round two, you're looking at see what edge rushers are there and you've got to see what offensive playmakers are there because outside of the T.Y. Hilton and maybe Marlon Mack who flashed a lot last year, Andrew Luck needs some more playmaking juice on that offense, and I'm sure Frank Reich would agree. So what offensive playmakers should the Colts consider at that point as well? Oh, uh, there, There's a pretty good amount of offensive playmakers they could look at at this point. Primarily, I think you're getting into range for Ronald Jones and Sonny Michelle there near the, the top of the second. If Darius Geis happens to slip to the top of the second, I'd be all over that. that that's, that's a card I would sprint to the podium. So you could get Guys Jones or, or Sonny Michelle. Antonio Callaway is actually climbing up the board from a Colts perspective. Maybe not the 37th pick, but if he's there more in middle second or with their top of the third pick, then you've got guys like DJ Moore or Anthony Miller, guys like that who are good route runners. They're not necessarily the physical freaks, but they're technicians and can get open. Tight end, I don't know how much the Colts are going to be looking at tight end. There's some really good ones. Uh, I was actually studying the tight ends for Stampy Blue for our draft guide that's going to be coming out. But, you know, with the addition of Eric Ebron, and they already have Jack Doyle, and they want to keep seeing what they have in Eric Swope, as well as Ross Travis, I don't really see tight ends happening. So we're really only looking at those few running backs, and, you know, there's, honestly, there's, about a half dozen wide receivers that could go there too. Yes, and uh, the other pick they got from the Jets via the Seahawks is pick number 49 in round two. 49 overall, that is. And the Colts, you mentioned that they need more off-ball linebackers. This is a deep class of off-ball linebackers. And what off-ball linebackers do you think uh, should be available at that point for the Colts to seriously consider? Uh, once we get into that middle of the second round, uh, I'm working under the assumption that the top four guys are off the board, and that's Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds, Rashawn Evans, and Leighton Vander Esch. you got to kind of assume those four are gone. How I've got them ranked after that, I've got Darius Leonard from South Carolina State. I love what I saw with him, and I think he would fit the Colts 
Malik Jefferson from Texas. I have Dorian O'Daniel ranked after that, but I don't think that's really what the Colts would be looking for. I think he's very undersized. You're probably looking to move him more to a box safety or, a, you know, a sub package linebacker. He's just very small. And I, I don't, I'm interested to see how he'll, he'll be in the NFL. I'm really high on Shaq Griffin as well. I don't know about taking him in the middle of the second just because he'll probably be there if they needed or if they wanted to get him in the third. That is about the range of linebackers you're looking at right there. Yes. So to recap, what is the most ideal draft haul for the Colts that is also realistic? Round one through four. Starting with round one, let's say they get Quentin Nelson. Pick 36, uh, who would you say they take there in the best case scenario? Uh, Well, it's hard for me to see mocks that don't start with Chubb. So you got to kind of regroup and, and hope you can find an edge rusher, uh, a quality one after that. And and I know they're always going to draft for best player available over need. But the first pick is Nelson. You don't get Chubb. Uh, with that second pick, you got to start looking at, you know, Josh Sweat. And uh, after Josh Sweat, you've, you know, you're probably looking at maybe Marcus Davenport has slipped. Dorrance Armstrong. Very interesting to see where his stock will be as well. It's been going pretty high over the last uh, several weeks, so he's probably more of a third-round guy. I would not be surprised at all to see him go in the second. And uh, also at pick 37, if uh, they do take that uh, edge rusher 36, uh, who is their most ideal playmaker? It also does have to be a running back. It could be like another wide receiver, like uh, say – uh, even though it's unlikely, let's say if DJ Moore is there at 37, you jump on him. Uh, very possible, but I would honestly, I would throw Sonny Michelle into that right there. Um, you know, pairing him with Marlon Mack. Uh, Michelle's a three down back. Marlon Mack is trying to get there, but the two of them together, that they can both catch the ball. They're both electric in space. They're both fast, can bust long plays. I, I think having that duo would really be an asset for the new Colts offense. And what would be an ideal choice in that scenario with their third second round pick? Uh, I would love to have a linebacker locked up by then, uh, just because I think they probably need to draft at least a couple. So I would throw Darius Leonard or Malik Jefferson as the ideal picks right there. So in our hypothetical mock, we got Quentin Nelson round one. We got one of the other edge rushers like a Josh Sweat or a Lorenzo Carter at 36. You got your playmaker in Sony Michelle or Ronald Jones at 37. You got your linebacker in Darius Leonard or Malik Jefferson at 49. Who do you take at 67? Uh, 67, that's when I threw uh, Antonio Callaway into the mix uh, when I was kind of preparing for this. I've been studying him all day, uh, really a lot of the last 24 hours. I'm working on a on a write-up on him right now. There's just been a lot of dots connected with him and the Colts lately. So, you know, if they vet him and they're confident that he's not going to have any more slip-ups, uh, then I think Antonio Callaway could be a steal because he's an electric playmaker. Someone else I would be looking at because they're, they're going to need to be looking at wide receivers at some point. Because T.Y. Hilton, Ryan Grant, and Chester Rogers, that's that's just not quite deep enough. You're going to want more players. So I would also throw uh, someone like James Washington or Simi Cobbs Jr. into there. If Christian Kirk is still available, uh, you know, you got to throw him in there as well. Deion Kane, Deshaun Hamilton, you know, guys that can run routes. Uh, they're possession receivers, but they can also make some plays downfield. Uh, that's, I think that's the type of guys they're really looking for right now. Yeah, so we got 
Quentin Nelson at six. We got your pass rusher, whether that be Marcus Davenport or Arden Key or Dorrance Armstrong at 36. You got your playmaker at running back at Sony Michelle at 37. You got your linebacker, Malik Jefferson, Darius Leonard, 49. You got your playmaking wide receiver, whether that's like Antonio Callaway or Christian Kirk at 67. How do the Colts round off this four-round mock at 104? Uh, it would help for them to also grab a cornerback at some point. Uh, unfortunately, by day three, it, it's starting to get a little slim pickings. But the type of cornerback that they covet is someone who's got a lot of length. It's going to be more of a zone coverage type of thing now. So it's not got to be someone who's going to really smother you. But, you know, someone who can be patient but still stick with their assignment. You know, their, their coverage skills, a lot of it will be dependent on their length but they've also got ball skills. So uh, someone I could see is Holton Hill, the corner out of Texas. Someone else who's going to have to, you know, check off the the character flags just because I've heard stuff about him kind of having a, a poor attitude. I don't know how serious that is. I haven't looked into it enough yet, but that could be the type of cornerback that the Colts go for if they wait until day three to do it. And that does it for the Colts. And now let's move on to the Houston Texans. And thanks to the NBA-style trade to get Brock Osweiler off the books, plus the trade-up to select Deshaun Watson last year, the Texans don't pick until round three since the Browns own both their first and second round selections as a result of those trades. That said, Houston is fortunate to have three third-round picks Number 68 overall, number 80 overall that they got in the Dwayne Brown trade with the Seahawks, and 98 overall, which is a compensatory selection. Arguably, their biggest need is offensive line. Yes, they signed Zach Fulton and Sunil Kilomete at free agency to plug some of the holes at guard, but tackle is just a major, major problem for the Texans. And with Deshaun Watson coming off his second torn ACL career, you got to protect him in whatever way possible. And it was brought up on our program in recent days by Cole Thompson of DraftWire.com that if Orlando Brown, who absolutely flubbed the combine in legendary fashion, dare I say, if he's available at 68, he might be worth it for the Texans at that spot. Do you think he's worth it at that spot? Uh, yeah, I absolutely do. You know, you're looking at Julian Davenport, Chantrell Henderson, and Derek Newton as the offensive tackles right now. And Henderson is a free agent next year. So you've really got a bear covered there at tackle. And it's just not going to cut it, especially when you're trying, like you said, to to protect your, your new franchise quarterback in Watson. So Orlando Brown, I think that would be a good move. Um before the combine, he was my top offensive tackle. Uh, I haven't moved him much just because, you know, I, I really liked his tape. It's unorthodox, but he's unorthodox. He's he's enormous. He's not going to do things the exact same as everybody else. You never want to see athletic testing go that poorly, and it does correlate to the NFL sometimes, so you do have to take that into account when ranking guys like that. Uh, so if he was there, you know, that like you said, they don't pick until three. If he's there, I would jump all over it because he could potentially be their left tackle. Um, you know, if th- he's still going to have to face rushers on the right side, but he, you know, he may luck out to find more power on the right side starting out than speed. And until he gets his feet under him and, you know, I'm assuming he's going to have to get all sorts of conditioning and, and have you know, really be integrated into whatever team he goes to's, you know, nutrition, strength, and conditioning program, you know. He may have to start out on the right side until then. Yeah, so we got Orlando Brown at 68 overall, and at 80 overall, uh, they Texans do need some help in the secondary, in my opinion, especially with Jonathan Joseph uh, aging and 
the injuries to J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless last year exposed just how weak they were in the secondary. What uh, corners or safeties would you take a stab on with the 80th overall pick? Again, corner is, I, I think it's a pretty shallow class this year. Carlton Davis is someone I really liked for the Colts in the second round initially, just because I, I think he fits that quite a bit. But he's had some pretty poor testing in the last month or so, which could drive him down into the third round. You know, he's a he's a long physical guy. I think I definitely think he's worth taking a chance on. So if I were the Texans, I would look into someone like Carlton Davis if he's there. They they seem to like kind of smaller guys. I, I other than AJ Boye, I don't recall really the most lengthy corner that they've had in recent memory. So, you know, it could be someone like Dante Jackson as well. There's just not a lot of op- – this isn't a great year to need corners, in my opinion, if you're not going to get them in the first couple rounds. Yes, but I think the safety crop is uh, pretty respectable. Like, uh, do you think a guy like a Kazir White could be there at 80? I imagine he would. Uh, I haven't dove too much into safeties quite yet, but that is about his range. You know, he's kind of a fringe round three or four guy. So if that's what they're looking for, then he could very well fill that need, you know, who knows what they're playing with Tyron Matthew is after this season. I believe he's just got a one-year deal. They also have Andre Howe, who's a good player. So they could go forward with that duo for the next handful of years. I believe there was even talk of Kareem Jackson moving to safety at some point. They probably don't need to do it now after signing Matthew. But if they really thought safety was something they should do, then White wouldn't be a bad option. Yes, so... uh... In terms of value, if the Texans, let's say, do not like the remaining quarters and safeties on the board with picks 80 and 98, which direction can you see them going aside from the secondary? Uh, well, they really need a tight end. I don't remember. the. I, I don't know if the Texans have really ever had an impact tight end. I, I just don't think they ever have, which is bizarre. Uh, and I think there are some really good tight ends in this class. One guy that I basically fell in love with was Tyler Conklin out of uh, Central Michigan, I think. I always get Central and Western Michigan mixed up. Um, <laughs> but no, that I love his play. I know he's he's been banged up and all that, but if he can be healthy and you know, re- and teams really think he can continue his development into the NFL level, he can do pretty much anything that tight ends are asked to do. In modern tight ends your starter is nowadays more of a pass catcher than anything. And I think he's a really good one. And I mean, I'm not trying to be dramatic or anything, but I, I just saw visions of him becoming similar to Travis Kelsey. If he follows, you know, his, his uh, career trajectory, I, I, I just see that type of future for him. If all pans out well. So I think that would be a really smart move for them. Adding an impact tight end like Conklin. Uh, you're also looking at, someone like Jalen Samuels there who you can stick in the slot to me, Jalen Samuels is not even really a tight end. He, you know, his position just has to have a title. He's just kind of a pass catcher, really more of a slot type of guy that he could maybe fit what they're doing. Ian Thomas or, or Dalton Schultz as well around that range. Wouldn't be a bad pick for them. Yes. And what other needs can you see the Texans addressing with their final two and lone fourth round pick final two third round picks and lone fourth round pick. Oh, I think it'd be a good idea to, for them to get some depth on the defensive line. You know, J.J. Watt, he's you know he's not getting younger. He's had a couple major injuries in a row. Uh, they've got some some decent guys on there uh, with D.J. Reader, Christian Covington. 
Uh, but I really think they need some depth on there. Um, last year was one of the first years I've, I've been really impressed with their line outside of Watt, but I think they should, they should probably get more guys there. Uh, they could use more pass rushers, you know, Whitney Merciless and Jadavian Clowney both have a knack for being banged up. And both of them are honestly more of elite run defenders than they are pass rushers. So I don't think it would hurt them to get some uh, down defensive linemen as well as some um, outside pass rushers as well. Yeah. So let's recap our uh, hypothetical mock for the Texans. Uh, Let's say Orlando Brown there at 68. Uh, Who do you think would be the next pick at 80? Uh, We'll go with we'll, we'll give him Tyler Conklin on that one. Tyler Conklin. And how about 98? We will give them we'll give them JC Jackson the cornerback. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about JC Jackson. There's some Akeem to lead to his game, as my good friend Eric Trickle uh said on one of his periscopes on Twitter a couple days ago. And last but not least, their fourth round choice, one oh three overall. Mm, okay, so we've given them line, tight end, and corner. Let's give them a defensive lineman. Uh maybe someone like Deidrin Sanat. Oh, Diedrich Sagat. Yeah, he uh, really uh, was a star at the Shrine game, wasn't he? Yeah, someone like that might be a good pickup for them if he's still available. Um, I don't think he's got real strong stock one way or the other. I think he could just be floating around there in the middle round. So that could be a good pickup for them. Yeah, and that does it for the Texans. Now moving on to the Tennessee Titans, who own six picks in the draft, one in rounds one through six to be exact. And when you look at the Titans, uh, they have a screaming need for edge rusher because both of their starting pass rushers in Brian Arakpo and Derek Morgan are on the wrong side of 30. And like like you said, this edge class isn't the best. Like there's a massive fall off after Bradley Chubb will be a top five pick most likely and Harold Landry, who likely will be a top 15 pick. And it's going to be a roll of the dice at 25 if they decide to go with edge rusher. Would you say that guys like Marcus Davenport, Josh Sweat, or we haven't mentioned this guy yet, Lorenzo Carter, a lot of people believe he can develop into a solid uh, presence off the edge. Do you think any of those three are worth it for the tights at 25, or should they address another need here? Uh, yeah, I've actually got um, – I, I gave them Marcus Davenport in my notes leading up to tonight's show here. Like you said, Arakpo and Morgan are, are both getting older but they're both also free agents in 2019. So that's just a not good situation for them. They also haven't really gotten anything at all out of Kevin Dodd. So who do they have at edge rusher looking towards the future? They really have nothing. Uh, So it would be smart for them to invest one of their first couple picks in that direction. I think Davenport would be the way to go if he's still there. Yes. uh, As a matter of fact, uh, that good friend of mine, Eric Trickle, who I just mentioned a couple seconds ago, he had Marcus Davenport in a mock on his Trickle Down Theories podcast a couple days ago. So I think I'm going to start mocking Marcus Davenport to the Titans as if I hear any rumblings that the Rams would be interested in passing it in because they, who pick a couple picks before Tennessee, they need edge rushing help as well, even with Aaron Donald and now Indomitian Sue. And mm-hmm. uh, let's uh, do a our hypothetical mock for the Titans. So round one, pick 25, you got Marcus Davenport. Where should they go round two with the 57th overall pick? Um, I think they, they could really use another wide receiver, you know, Corey Davis. I think we all assume he's going to take over the wide receiver one role for them. And Rashard Matthews is also a capable receiver. Uh, but outside of that, I don't know how much I I trust him. You know, Taiwan Taylor, and uh, I, I believe his last name is Sharp. I don't know why. His, his name kind of escapes me right now. Tajay Sharp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think they could use another actual big play receiver. And I think someone like James Washington could really do that for them. 
you know, he can really stretch the field. He's one of the best deep ball tracking receivers in this draft. Corey Davis can can do a little bit of everything. Uh, but outside of that, they don't have many receivers who can stretch the field. And I think uh, James Washington would be a good addition to that offense. Yeah, I agree. James Washington would be an excellent presence for the Titans offense. He killed it at the Senior Bowl. He might be 5'10", 5'11", but he plays a million times bigger than he is. He runs slick routes. Uh, He is the security blanket Marcus Mariota definitely needs uh, going forward. And new offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur's scheme, uh, James Washington, could play that Jamison Crowder role. He could be like a 100-plus reception-a-year guy at best, and uh, thus I completely agree there. And uh, how about in round three, pick A9? We got... Our edge rusher, Marcus Davenport, we got James Washington, pick 57. Uh, Where do the Titans go here? They might need some more youth on the offensive line, especially on the inside, and with Quentin Spain coming out of contract next year, and this is a pretty deep class for interior offensive linemen. Should they go there? Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I I think their biggest remaining needs uh, would be interior offensive line. Uh, I think they need to find – a better option to replace Avery Williamson, an inside linebacker. And then they could also use some help at strong safety. Uh, if, if I'm thinking correctly, I think Jonathan Cyprian is slated to start next to Kevin Byard, which isn't ideal. So I had them getting Braden Smith, uh, the guard out of Auburn. I, I think it's just going to help them a lot up front. You know, you, you have a franchise quarterback. You obviously want to make sure you protect them as much as possible. Uh, Spain's, like you said, his future there is uncertain. You know, Jones, Klein, there's there's just room there for improvement. And I think Braden Smith's got a lot of upside. And if he's there for them right there in the third round, then I think they should move on on him. So we got Marcus Davenport at pick 25, James Washington, pick 57, Braden Smith, pick 89. What do the Titans do in round four with the 125th overall pick? Uh, Well, this guy has kind of uh, become a... Draft Twitter darling as of late, Jannard Avery from Memphis, the linebacker. Uh, that's who I'm going to throw in there to take over for Avery Williamson. Uh, you know, they've got Jayon Brown and uh, I always forget his name too, Wesley Woodyard. You know, Woodyard is getting older. Brown is kind of inconsistent. Uh, you don't really know if you want to throw all your eggs in his basket yet. So uh, someone like Jannard Avery, uh, a really high upside, smart linebacker. His tackles are violent. He, he's he's a good type of linebacker with attitude that you want to throw into your linebacking core. He is Jake Arthur, ladies and gentlemen, StampedeBlue.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JakeArthurNFL. And Jake, uh, we now conclude our AFC South draft preview with the reigning division champion, Jacksonville Jaguars. And the Jaguars, they have one of the most stacked rosters in the entire National Football League. However... Blake Bortles is still their quarterback, and he's essentially on a series of three one-year contracts. And should the Jaguars be willing to bite the bullet on, say, a Mason Rudolph or Kyle Oletta even with the 29th overall pick, especially since it was reported today by NFL insider in front of the pod, Benjamin Albright, that they don't really like Lamar Jackson? Uh, Do you think one of those two quarterbacks could be worth a stab for them at 29? I think Lamar Jackson would be the fun option uh, right there, but I... I don't have the insight on on the Jaguars or the league like Benjamin does, but I would maybe wait to address quarterback if they're not gonna, you know, if they're not gonna take someone like Jackson at twenty nine. Mason Rudolph is not a bad pick, and I I've also heard that they kind of favor him as well. But you know, why not build on their strengths, which is their you know power rushing offense, which really proved to be a good thing for Blake Bortles this year. 
So I would say maybe someone like Billy Price. I know he is banged up right now, uh, but he's supposed to be back in time for the season. So I'm not really worried about his pec tear. Uh, but, you know, throw Billy Price in there with Andrew Norwell and Brandon Linder on the interior. And I think that's a great interior offensive line. Cam Robinson continues to grow. You know, can't can't really go wrong there. Oh, you definitely can't go wrong. And for the record, I did have the Jaguars uh, play to their strengths in my last mock with the 29th overall pick by giving them Mike McGlinchey from Notre Dame. And if he's there, uh, selecting him as a book at Cam Robinson wouldn't be a bad idea either, especially given how beastly he is in the run game as well. Yeah, I think that'd be, that'd be a smart move. Yeah, so if they don't go quarterback at 29, a better value could be Billy Price or Mike McGlinchey. And how, where should they go in round two with the 61st overall pick? Yes, uh, they re-signed Marquise Lee, who had a pretty good year last year, but they lost Allen Robinson. And the Jaguars, I think, would be wise to add to their uh, receiver core to give the offense some more sizzle, especially with Dante Moncrief being on a one-year contract. So uh, what wide receiver would you see Jacksonville going at 61, or should they go in a different direction? Uh, there, there's two things I highlighted here for them at 61. Uh, either they try and steal Kyle Loletta away from the Patriots right here, or like you were just saying at receiver, they don't really have any alpha dogs in the receiving game right now with Allen Robinson gone. Uh, you know, Marquise Lee, Dante Moncrief, D.D. Westbrook, Keelan Cole, all nice receivers. They gave Dante Moncrief the weirdest contract of all time. I don't know why they did that. But they don't have any defined top receiver. Uh, so I think someone like Semi Cobbs would be a good idea here. He's got tons of size. He is is a great, you know, 50-50 guy. He's pretty similar to Allen Robinson, to be honest with you. So they elected to basically not give Allen Robinson the money that they gave to both Marquise Lee and Dante Moncrief. And now they can replace him for cheaper with Semi Cobbs. Well, Simi Cobbs would be the pick there if they didn't go quarterback there. But let's say, because this is the most ideal scenario we're trying to come up with, let's say they go either Billy Price or Mike McGlinchey with the 29th overall pick. And at pick 61, they go Kyle Oletta. That leaves pick 93 overall in round three. Uh, which wide receivers should the Jaguars pounce on there? Uh, if they're waiting till the third round and we're still looking for guys who might be, you know, wide receiver one material then you could maybe find someone like Equinemius St. Brown, someone who could develop. He's not, I don't think he's ready to be a wide receiver one right now, but he could, I think he could develop into the top option in a team's passing game. You've also got, you know, Dante Pettis, someone like that, if they're still around. I don't know about him being a wide receiver one, but you're kind of running the covered bear of wide receiver ones at that point. I would think Anthony Miller would probably be gone by then, but the fact that he's been hurt for, or recovering from an injury for basically this entire pre-draft process could hypothetically drop him a little bit. Deshaun Hamilton, another possibility, um, someone who can do a little bit of everything, but he looks like he could be a, a team's top option as well. You know, give me a guy who's a route runner and a, and a technician all day long, but he's also got some physical attributes that can make him an actual playmaker. 
Deshaun Hamilton would definitely be a good choice there. He was one of the stars at the Senior Bowl. Terrific route runner. And if he just goes in front of a jugs machine, he will improve and could very well grow into a number one option in the receiving game. And Paul Pazluzny uh, retired, so they need somebody to take his place. And this is a pretty deep crop of linebackers. So in round four with pick 129, uh, any good linebackers left there? Uh, yeah, I think you could uh, maybe look at someone like Sky Moore out of South Carolina. I was I really liked his tape when I turned him on. I thought he was pretty similar to Darius Leonard, honestly. With Puzlesny retiring, I don't know if we see any shuffling in their linebacker core or not. I think they'll probably keep Telvin Smith where he is, but they could slate or they could move Miles Jack inside uh, to that Mike linebacker spot. But I, mean, I think Sky Moore is someone who kind of fits that defense. He he's not Paul Puzlesny but he seems to fit right along with that defense and what they've been doing over the last handful of years and building that defense. So to recap our Jaguars ideal four round mock, we got uh, Billy Price or Mike McGlinchey round at round one, pick 29 uh, round two with the 61st overall pick. Uh, we gave them uh, Kyle Oletta, the quarterback from Richmond who could easily grow into a Jimmy Garoppolo type quarterback at given time. At, with the 93rd pick, we give them uh, Deshaun Hamilton, wide receiver for Penn State, or if they're fortunate, uh, Anthony Miller from Memphis. That would pick 129 in the fourth round. We gave them Sky Moore, the linebacker from South Carolina. Jake Arthur, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us for our AFC South preview as we inch closer to the 2018 NFL Draft. Follow Jake on Twitter at JakeArthurNFL for his draft coverage these remaining four weeks. You're going to want to follow it. He's one of the best in the business. We thank you for having you on once again, Jake, and we hope to have you on again very soon. Yeah, I really appreciate that, buddy. I'm looking forward to next time. Likewise, Jake. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch with D-Crom. Stay with us this next month as we churn out more and more content to get you ready for the 2018 NFL Draft. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive, including our recently released 100th episode special, my interview with longtime NFL scout Greg Gabriel, as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jake, especially since there's never, never, ever an off-season for talking football. For Jake Arthur, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome. <laughs>